Welcome and thanks for listening. I'm Stacey Randall Shaheen. And I'm Diane Amelia Reed. Together, we will examine essential questions so you can cultivate a deeper connection to your true identity and help others do the same. This is personal power for the common good. Change your life, change the world. Welcome to Personal Power for the Common Good, a podcast where we explore the bonuses and the barriers that come with each stage of human development. We find ways to sidestep those barriers on the way to authenticity and learn how to help others do the same. This podcast episode is dedicated to author and activist Barbara Kingsolver, whose works of fiction and nonfiction lift the human spirit by revealing its intimate interdependence with family, peace, and the natural world. I'm Stacey Randall Shaheen, an adult educator, human rights advocate, and I'm here with my good friend, colleague, and coach, Diane Amelia Reed. Hi, I'm Diane Amelia Reed, a college and career advisor, social justice advocate, and a personal transformation consultant. Stacey and I are Truly delighted to have you with us for this sixth episode of Personal Power for the Common Good. So welcome and and thank you for joining us. We're glad you're here. Now, Personal Power for the Common Good is a podcast for everyone who is in relationship. And by that, we mean connected to other people. This is for anyone who gives care, care to a child, to an elder or a neighbor, that can be personally or professionally, and especially for those who want to give care to themselves. So our target audience is actually you, and by extension, anyone whose life you touch. This episode is brought to you by Shine, the Mindset Mastery Workshop series that helps you become the you that you are meant to be. In the first 12 episodes of this series, our podcast is focused through the lens of eight key developmental stages a framework created by psychologist Eric Erickson. These stages start with infancy and they progress through our final days. In episode five, we considered these two essential questions in the context of a six to nine-year-old's world. Number one, how did the introduction of the outside world during early elementary school years influence your inner judge or your sense of self-worth? And two, how did your parents or caregivers react when you shared circumstances or situations that made you feel uncomfortable. We discussed the impact on children entering elementary school, you know, a new and sometimes scary place with a largely unfamiliar group of new peers. We learned the skills of Erickson's related industry stage, like writing, basic math, interpersonal games on the playground and the like. And we recognized that our overarching systems are designed to mold children into citizens who value being industrious. So they serve society's employment needs as they become adults. It's a fairly rigid mold that was created for businesses after the Industrial Revolution. Wow. Well, if we don't quite fit nicely into that mold, this domestication, as is described in the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, feelings of inferiority can develop and they can become deeply rooted. This the sense that we're somehow not good enough according to adult standards or adult expectations. And truly, when you think about it, very few of us fit neatly into a mold. Exactly. So we shared a nurturing self-care tip 
and to enhance self-awareness, we asked listeners to create an autobiography, starting from the point of view of their six to nine-year-old selves. You know that chapter in life when anything is possible. And we provided a simple My Autobiography worksheet to help you get started with your self-reflection. Oh, by the way, you can find all of the podcast worksheets at our website, personalpowercommongood.com. They are tailored for each episode. And lastly, we want to make sure you have tools on hand to be positive influences of personal power for every age group we discuss. For example, in our last episode, focusing on those six to nine-year-olds, we cautioned against telling children to blindly obey what adults tell them to do, because this can actually be dangerous. So instead, as an alternative, cultivate critical thinking. One way to do this is by role-playing situations that a child might encounter and practicing responses with them. Here's a for instance. Let's say you can't pick your child up from school and you need to send a friend. You and your child can create a code word together so that your youngster will only get in the car with that not you adult if that adult has the code word. Yeah, that's something great to practice at an early age because it has an application as teenagers, which we'll talk about in later episodes. So in today's episode, we focus on the later elementary school ages of 10 to 13, the older range of Erickson's stage, when youth continue to navigate the psycho-emotional growth of industry versus inferiority. The introduction to the real world that we first experience in kindergarten, you know, through about third grade, really intensifies. It heats up considerably as the swirls of pre-adolescent hormones begin to introduce themselves into children's bodies, minds, and spirits. The swirls introduce me and the rest of my world <laughs> to the development of my breasts, far earlier and larger than most of my female peers. <laughs> Ditto. I was an early bloomer too. <laughs> Skipped <laughs> right over the training bra. It really, as I think about it, just what is getting trained there? <laughs> Me, my breasts, my community, who knows? But I went straight for the real deal. And it was simultaneously thrilling, inconvenient, and baffling. Yeah, the first bra tradition in my family involved a visit to a store called Lady Grace that was in Malden Square where we lived, where an elder woman, a stranger, measured me, my most intimate places, and picked out the best choices. It was weird and a tad embarrassing. <laughs> a rite of passage that trip to Lady Grace where the stranger <laughs> measures your naked breasts. Yikes. Exactly. <laughs> oh, well, to introduce today's topic, consider these questions. As the external world continued to expand during your late elementary school years, did your self-perception differ from the one you developed as a younger child? Actually, that's only one question. But I would not be at all surprised if the majority of you listeners answer with a resounding yes. You know, hormones alone are enough to manage. That inner judge who started taking root in your conscious and subconscious mind may have grown considerably. Or that inner judge may have been cast off when you began to enjoy success in new areas, maybe team sports, the school band, 
a dance or theater performance. Of course, this is if you were lucky enough to grow up in a family or a school district that could afford sports and the arts amidst the pressures of funding and standardized testing. Conversely, these other areas of expression of talents and multiple intelligences may have become additional areas where you did not measure up, you know, at at least in your mind. Yeah. And the self-perception is huge because even if the adults or peers in a young person's life are accepting and affirming, that internalized sense of shame can take hold thanks to societal messages embedded in media, marketing, and so on. There is an art and science of shaming children, and it takes many forms. And the resulting self-perception of inferiority is a major roadblock to reclaiming or owning a person's power within. Children at this age really start to notice that they may be different than the norm, the root word of normal. Mm -hmm. Asking motherful children, why don't you have a dad? or asking an overweight child why he or she is so fat can leave deep marks. And children with learning differences may start to question if they're too dumb. Are they too dumb to learn or ask what's wrong with me? We know words have tremendous power. For instance, unkind nicknames created by peers, siblings, or parents, even even when they're meant in fun, these can stick at this age and follow children into junior and even senior high school. Well, once you're boxed into a particular label, it can be super difficult to peel it off, especially if your adult caregivers, your teachers, coaches, or other significant adults in your life add to the stickiness of the label by repeating it rather than helping you peel it off. It is known that housing instability and emotional instability create learning gaps, loss of friends, feelings of not fitting in wherever the child goes. So if a family experiences homelessness, poverty, or unsafe neighborhoods, that label may evolve into a permanent tattoo. Now, in each episode, we explore two essential questions to deepen thought and reflection. As educators, we offer these essential questions as a learning guide, something specific to achieve or to understand during our time together. In this episode, our two essential questions are these. First, As an emerging teenager, did you perceive or did you receive or did you perpetuate positive or negative labels? And two, how has the rapid development of technology and social media impacted the way older school children feel and think about themselves? You know, one of the most compelling books that I ever read that really helped me understand some of the particular psychological psychological dangers that impact young teens. It's called Reviving Ophelia, and it's by psychologist Mary Piper. Although she's mainly focused on girls, the information can apply to all genders because, you know, this loss of the age of innocence that many six to nine-year-olds enjoy before early puberty sets in, it can really apply to anyone. So for girls, the importance of body image and being pretty enough begins to take hold what Piper describes as the cult of beauty and the cult of thinness can inflict serious lifelong damage. For boys, it's a little different. It's more like a cult of strength or what's known as a tough guys, not G-U-I-S as in guys, but G-U-I-S-E as a mask, a tough guys. It begins to emerge. And even younger boys are often shut down from experiencing their feelings as they enter puberty or before. 
you know, you get messages like men don't cry or what are you a girl, which is the ultimate insult to a boy. You know, those kind of comments start to starve the healthy emotional and self-development of boys and men. I don't really remember how young I was when I began to think about being fat. Actually, it was more my mom's focus that spilled onto me. She and my dad were both overweight. And I remember my mom saying, don't ever get fat. It wasn't a waggle her finger at me type of thing. No, it was more wistful. It was heartfelt. She truly wanted to spare me her pain. However, my young interpretation was, I'd better watch out, stay vigilant, and don't get fat. I can't even count the number of times that I've looked in the mirror and said, you look fat. Oh, that looks fat on you. You better change. Or, or my female friends have said that about themselves. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Do I look fat in this? Exactly. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, the development of my breasts were intertwined with feelings of shame, isolation, and discomfort. As the new arrivals, especially, they began to attract attention from boys. You know, some of my female friends even mocked me. Boys snapped my bra, and I really began to feel uncomfortable in my own skin. But at the same time, my emerging breasts gave me some new powers. Boys wanted to kiss me. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and as the ever-eager organizer of Spin the Bottle in my neighborhood, I could suddenly receive a kiss on my own. And suddenly those classroom valentines we shared every year became a lot more important. And I'll never forget one that I received in fifth grade from a cute boy that I liked. It, it featured a giraffe and it had the message, do you want a neck? <laughs> so innocent by today's standards, but very exciting, yet confusing at the time. And this makes sense as older children in the 10 to 13 year old age range can begin to describe having conflicting feelings towards the same experience. I'm thinking this um, spin the bottle chapter happened for you like, like the mid 70s, right? You know it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well before social media, before the internet, cell phones and the like. So just imagine if comments on that the giraffe valentine were shared by an entire cyber network to either congratulate you or shame you. Either way, nightmare. Either way. And before you even had time to process it, everyone you knew had formed an opinion and shared it among their worlds. It was hard then. And the pressure to conform or fit in now is huge. Mm-mm-mm. Now, when you and I grew up, Stacy, children's television was regulated by the federal government, which you know. These regulations, um, they were designed to limit a young mind's exposure to marketing and to violence and sexualized images. But all that changed in the 1980s when children's television was deregulated and with no restrictions, the campaign began to cultivate little consumers. Mm-hmm. So children of all ages are inundated with all manner of interpersonal violence and sexual clothing and innuendo. Marketing companies, and parents know this, deliberately create campaigns to encourage children to whine, beg, and plead their parents into submission for the latest thing, the latest toy, gadget, or tool, whatever it might be. So no surprise we have been seeing the effects of this deregulation ever since. 
And this comes in the form of higher levels of interpersonal violence, youth depression, social anxiety. And this is because they have been sold a false narrative that stuff is what makes you happy. And whereas being like everyone else used to mean being like everyone else at school, maybe in your neighborhood, it now literally comes with worldwide pressure. Yeah, it's enormous. And this conspicuous consumption that's so often celebrated in American culture, but other cultures around the world as well, it truly is a road to nowhere when it comes to positive emotional development. Exposure to marketing tactics or external media sources is a very different animal in the 21st century. Technological advances have created new markets for bullies, for predators, pornographers, violence of all kinds. And even with parental controls, children can see and hear real or enacted video images that their developing minds truly can't process or understand. And this accelerated introduction to adult themes can leave children feeling angry, sad, depressed, confused. So it's more important than ever for adults to establish and maintain nurturing channels of communication with children of all ages. Research has proven that emotional intelligence, you know, the ability to communicate and work with other people, it's a key indicator of academic, professional, and personal success. It's especially important to cultivate in boys because they're often socialized not to feel at all, unless, of course, the feeling is anger. Mm -hmm. One of the most important skills we learn at a young age is how to navigate relationships with other people, with adults, with peers. And our ability to do this is one way we feel competent. (laughs) You organizing that spin the bottle, playing hide and seek, or the other childhood games that you and I engaged in is one way to do this. Now, Stacy and I were lucky enough to experience this live and in person during our childhoods. But many children today are developing their relational skills in make-believe worlds by themselves in front of a screen. They participate in worlds where players are celebrated for killing, stealing, raping, and other massively disturbing and illegal behaviors. So this is a far cry from spin the bottle, right? Absolutely. Well, two thoughts about this. First, it is critically important for adult caregivers to pay attention to the age-appropriate ratings on video games. There are so many other opportunities for children to be interrupted, I'm sorry, for childhood, children and their childhoods to be interrupted with adult themes. Um, No need to invite more into a child's screen time, which, by the way, should not only be monitored, but limited. And second, at this age, it becomes increasingly important to develop open lines of communication about often uncomfortable topics, you know, like the growth of underarm or pubic hair, menstruation, body growth that may just feel weird to a young teen. Yeah. And as the youngest of four daughters, I would, you know, one would think I got a lot of great education in this area. However, I didn't. I got the booklet that was passed down from one sister to the next that said, you've become a young woman now with, with no follow-up conversation whatsoever. I wouldn't recommend doing it that way. <laughs> but, you know, many adults, including my parents, 
they really struggled with having the talk with children. And they wonder at what age that should happen. It's not easy to think of a child, especially your own, as a sexual being, just like it's not easy for him or her to think of you as one. Oh, no, no, no. (laughs) So really thinking about becoming and remaining an askable, no judgment zone adult is the way to go. Oh, I love that. Askable. Yeah. Keep it open. Be a source of information rather than shame. Communicating about so-called negative feelings was not something that was done openly in my family. I remember hiding as a young child because I put my knee through a door's window trying to get outside. You know, I broke the glass. And rather than ask for help, I hid in a closet because I was more afraid of parental disappointment than my bleeding knee. I ended up getting stitches and everything. Wow. When the sense of having to deal with pain by myself really came to a head when I was about 12. And I was really in the midst of the cults of beauty and thinness that Piper described. I was at a party of some sort and the boy who I liked broke up with me. We had probably been going out for, you know, no more than two weeks, which felt like forever that age. (laughs) It's Um, eternity. And I was in deep. I don't remember how the thought even entered my mind, but I went to the bathroom. I was going to cry or something. And I found a loose razor blade and I used it to cut myself, not to kill myself, but just to cut myself. And I have since learned that self-cutting is a way for people to control their pain physically with an emotional release rather than seeking help with processing difficult feelings. It took me a long time, even into adulthood, how to figure out how to do just that. Daisy, I totally understand. Although I was much older when I started binging and purging, the 16 years I spent wrestling with an eating disorder was was very much the same. This humiliation and, and harm of engaging in this very, very dysfunctional behavior was somehow better than dealing with feelings, and some of which were buried so deep, I didn't even know they were there until I got professional help to unearth them. Mm -hmm. So gratefully, I can say um, we can learn and we can evolve. Human development, it's a lifelong process of change, of adaptation, with the ability to improve, improve our awareness um, with training and practice. Whatever the circumstances of your personal life history, you can examine the past. You can engage with it and move on to a different kind of future by looking within and committing to positive change. With that in mind, let's revisit this episode's two essential questions. Remember, the first was this. Did you perceive, receive, or perpetuate positive or negative labels as an emerging teenager, either self-imposed or externally created? And how has the rapid development of technology and social media impacted the way older school-aged children feel and think about themselves? As you reflect on our essential questions, we want you to know this. Understanding the impact of external messages and socialization on your life gives you more power to change the negative labels and to build up positive ones. And whatever negative labels you may have experienced in your life, they can be changed. They can be recycled and they can be thrown away. With the trash. If you are or have been the perpetuator of negative labels in other people's lives, 
whether as a child or as an adult, you are forgiven and you can do better. So to deepen your understanding and self-awareness, remember yourself as an emerging adolescent from the ages of 10 to 13. Think about the positive and not so positive messages about yourself you internalize from the following five sources. Your family, your peer group, your school, your religion, and the media, meaning magazines, movies, television, music, news, and so on. On one piece of paper, draw five columns for each category and label them. Fill each column with words, photographs, magazine images, childhood memories, whatever you want. Put the positive messages on the top half of each column and the negative ones on the bottom half. Put it on your fridge or somewhere else so you'll see it every day for a week. And on the seventh day, cut the bottom half off, burn it, throw it away, bury it deeply in the ground, whatever works for you. And check out the five pillars worksheet at our website, personalpowercommongood.com for a simple graphic to get you started. Listeners, we're walking through potentially tender territory here, thinking deeply about your life and cultivating more self-awareness. It can bring up some uncomfortable feelings. You need to take care of you along the way. (laughs) Now, here's a terrifying suggestion, but it is massive self-care. Unplug from technology for 24 hours. Get off the grid for a bit. If you need to engage with technology for work during that time, set a strict limit and then power down. Yeah, you can even bring this a step further by unplugging as a family for 24 hours. Mm. Amazing what can happen. Each episode, we also share ways that you can pay it forward to become a positive catalyst for a happier, better, and more loving world, one person at a time. So today's suggestions on how to be a positive influencer of personal power for older school-age children in particular are these. Counterbalance negative societal messages by having real sit-down family dinners at least three times a week. We're talking old school. No TV, no electronic of any kind. And no one, including adults, no one touches a phone until dinner is over. Another, be honest with children if they ask you questions, even if those questions make you feel uncomfortable. Now, if you need more time to think, just say, I'll get back to you tomorrow about that. Don't shut them down with judgment or with anger. And it's also okay to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's also an acceptable response. And then more childlike or innocent questions like, are you really Santa Claus? You know, they have to be answered honestly at that point, or the trust you have built may begin to erode. Well, if you take a step toward the common good, if you have a eureka moment in your self-care or in your role as a positive influencer, sparked maybe by this or any episode, tell us about it. Drop us a note at personalpowercommongood.com. We love, we love hearing from you. Your thoughts matter and your words matter. You matter. And as part of every episode, we share some words of wisdom from someone who inspires us. And this episode honors the words of author Barbara Kingsolver, who wrote in her 2002 book of essays, Small Wonder. 
It is possible to move away from a vast, unbearable pain by delving into it deeper and deeper, by diving into the wreck, to borrow the perfect words from Adrian Rich. You can look at all parts of a terrible thing until you see that there are assemblies of smaller parts, all of which you can name, and some of which you can heal or alter. And finally, the terror that seemed unbearable becomes manageable. And that's a wrap on our sixth episode of Personal Power for the Common Good. We hope you'll join us next time when we'll move on to the next stage of Erickson's human development with a focus on 14 to 17-year-olds. Yeah, and hey, thanks for listening. If thoughts have popped up that you'd like to share, if you have any questions, or there's something you'd like to learn more about, we very excitedly want to know. (laughs) So contribute to the discussion board at personalpowercommongood.com, where all episodes are stored. We sure hope you're finding value here, and we ask that you help us spread the word about our podcast. Listeners can find us on all the streaming outlets and at our website, where you'll also find the weekly worksheets. I'm Stacey Randall-Shaheen. And I'm Diane Amelia-Reed. We appreciate you, and we look forward to our ongoing and ever-evolving conversation on personal power for the common good. Change your life, change the world.